Welcome to Shift, a College Admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable ACT course that includes everything you need to ace your exam. A full textbook, tons of ACT questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can get a free trial at Achievable.me, and if you like it, the code PODCAST will get you 10% off at checkout. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now, let's get started. So, today we have David Blobaum on the show from Summit Prep. And David, could you introduce yourself? Hi, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my name is David Blobaum, and I'm one of the co-owners of Summit Prep. Uh, we're based out of New Jersey. We have an office in Summit, New Jersey, and Bernardsville, New Jersey, and we tutor students around the world as well online. Fantastic. And so today, our first topic is going to be, what criteria do colleges use for admissions? And I think there's some kind of obvious ones, right? Like, uh, we all know that they use grades, they use test scores for the ACT or SAT, they use your essays, they use extracurricular activities, and potentially any kind of demographic information that you provided. Um so what else is there? Or so maybe even if you wanted to talk about the importance of those things relative to each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you hit the hit the main ones. So um, definitely grades. And those are the most important at most colleges. It is kind of interesting. Um, while the debate around test scores is raging, if you ask the mm-hmm. top schools, most of them are honest that test scores still do matter, even if it's test optional. So Harvard, for instance, they have on their website, on their admissions website, it says SAT and ACT scores are better predictors of grades at Harvard than are a student's high school grades. So it's like if SAT and ACT scores are better than grades, they're the best predictors of success at Harvard. So clearly Harvard and other highly selective, selective and highly selective colleges still care about SAT scores. So we have grades, SAT, ACT scores. And then a lot of things that people don't like to talk about. So even donations, right? I mean, there's that varsity blues scandal about people sort of cheating in the side door. But the back door Mm -hmm. is if you can donate enough money, you will get in or at least donations can help. There's also a dean's list. So another thing that people don't like to talk about. So people do work connections. If they know someone who's on the board, that person, that board member at most schools can usually add that student to a dean's list. And that actually really does help the student get in. Um, this yeah. was years back, but I had a student, um, she was applying to Cornell and she told me, and this was when the, the SAT was on the 2400 scale. So she was like, right. all I need is a 1500 on the SAT. So that's just the average score. It's equivalent to about a thousand these days. She's like, all I need is a 1500 and I will get in. And she did because her dad was best friends with someone on the board. So another thing we don't Jesus. like to talk yeah it's te- i mean it's terrible like that 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 stuff actually enrages me um so there's the dean's list there's athletic recruitment another thing that doesn't get a lot of airtime but 10 percent of harvard is recruited athletes and a lot of these athletic recruitment positions therefore a lot of sports that most students don't even have access to so we're talking you know recruitment for squash or crew these sports are not right. even offered at most schools like right? new england new england stuff exactly exactly so we have athletic recruitment there's also ability to pay 
So what most people don't know is that at most colleges in the country, not the ones with billion-dollar endowments, but at most colleges, ability to pay goes into the admissions decision, but also how much money you're going to be offered. So it can help Uh. you get in, but also the school knows that if they charge you the full sticker price, that that wealthy family still might not go because everybody wants a discount. So they might discount that family, you know, maybe from 50,000 down to 40,000 because they'd rather have $40,000 than nothing. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one, right? Um because I I've heard that also the um the schools are sometimes like pricing themselves higher with the intent of having the majority of their students be at some discount like like kind of like black friday sales nowadays yeah right where they, they jack the price up and then they're like look it's it's 50 percent off when it, it, they've doubled the price so yeah it's it's just an interesting game that all these colleges are playing with that stuff it also is sad i mean there's been a couple of that like on your list there's been a couple of things now where like your family having more money is helpful and that's frustrating. It's the world we live in though. You're absolutely right. And almost everything in admissions criteria sadly correlates to wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, grades do. So if you go to a private school, there's more grade inflation at those private schools. You go mm-hmm. to a public school and they have less grade inflation. And even among the, the public schools, the public schools in the wealthy areas, they have more grade inflation. So 70% of students at four-year universities had A averages in high school. 70%. And this is, wow. we're, we're not talking about Harvard's. We're talking about this is just four-year universities. 70% of students had A averages. So there's so much grade inflation. And a lot of that is also tied to wealth. So you, you really mm-hmm. you almost can't escape wealth in almost every admissions criteria sadly oh boy (laughs) sorry to be a downer (laughs) yeah no worries um well so okay sorry you were you were kind of on a roll and i and i interrupted you a little bit with my (laughs) with my question about that but um while not focusing i mean yeah while not focusing too much on the wealth aspect because it's like just a little sad right it's not much usually that a student or a parent can do to change it um, you know, what are, what are other things that admissions people think about? I know that you were talking about other ways to get in, right? I mean, there's Dean's list and then there's athletic list. I think those are both great and also pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And just to give the listeners, um, a bit of hope, I'll tie in some optimism and something they can do at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's That's course great. rigor. Um, mm-hmm. so that would be taking certainly honors classes. At a minimum, we have to, again, just rephrase our understanding of what academics currently means, right? An A doesn't mean an A anymore. It's actually literally average for anyone going into college. The same thing with honors courses. Honors doesn't mean honors. It means that's just the regular course these days. AP. Right. And so AP, that's helpful. But a lot of students, they'll get an A in their AP class but they're not even taking the AP exam or they're getting maybe like a two or three on the AP exam. So you do need that rigor, but also keep in mind that especially for the highly selective schools, they're going to also expect to see great AP exam scores paired with those 
an A in an AP class. So like the average student at Harvard right. had eight AP exam scores that they submitted. Eight, eight. AP exam scores. Eight. Wow. I submitted one and I thought I was really smart. I mean, I'm also just giving the example of Harvard, right? This is <laughs> this is sure, like no, not average. That's, that's, but. that's important. It's illustrative. Also, would you... I mean, it because of this great inflation, I think a lot of colleges have to find new ways to determine who's a good student, right? Like, I mean, essentially, if everybody has a straight-A average, then you're kind of stuck <laughs> trying to figure that out. Right. Um, with other less perfect information. So that's where it makes sense that, you know, if you got an A in your AP class, but you got like a two or three on your AP exam, they would maybe say, okay, the AP class wasn't that hard. Right. And at that point, you just wouldn't want to submit your two or three. I would only submit, you know, a four or five to a college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So we have uh, course rigor. We have early decision. So again, and I'm going to tie it. Um, I, I, I think it is important to mention things with respect to equity. So even course uh, rigor, that also is tied to equity, unfortunately, as well, because more AP mm. exams are offered at the wealthier and private schools in particular. Um, right. Early decision also tends to favor the wealthy. But if you can apply early decision to a school that you know that you would want to go to, you know, by different estimates, early decision can boost your chances by about 30%. At some schools. Yeah. Because some schools are taking more than 50% of their applicants from early decision, which is crazy. So Yeah, that's that's really high, but it definitely makes sense that it improves your chances in general because you're basically like committing to them early and they can kind of lock in a, lock in a good person at, with a good spot. Exactly. Yeah. So at its best, it should help students and colleges, which it does. I would say it doesn't necessarily help all students equally. So if you're a student on financial aid or who will get financial aid, especially substantial financial aid, you might want to be slightly careful if you're applying early decision, because once mm -hmm. you've committed to that school, you can choose not to go to that school if they don't meet your financial need. That's quite rare, though. What you lose the ability to do is later compare multiple acceptance offers with multiple aid offers from multiple schools and pick between those or even say, hey, um, you know, uh, Villanova gave me this much money, you know, uh, Boston College, can you match that? So you lose some of your ability to... Um, like negotiate. Exactly. Part. Yeah. Right, right. Um, another maybe not fun one to talk about is legacy status. So that can mm -hmm. really, not all schools still use legacy, but most schools do. So that can also help a student. Um, also, if they're a child of faculty members, that helps them get in as well. Then we get, yeah. then we get to some more equitable, equitable uh, criteria. So demographics. So demographics, one of them is just geographic dem, uh, mm -hmm. demographics. So all colleges want at least one student from each state. So if you are from Nebraska, you have a huge advantage applying to really <laughs> any school in the country because um, they don't get a lot of students applying from Nebraska. So that's definitely uh, a benefit. But also, you know, race and ethnicity, those fall under what are called institutional priorities. In fact, all of these do. It's an institutional priority to have more diversity. So if you are from a uh, 
an ethnic or racial group that this, the school doesn't have a lot of representation for, that can also boost your uh, application, at least to most schools. Mm-hmm. Demonstrated interest is another one. So that also does not um, help people equally. But if you're able to demonstrate that you actually want to go to the school, that boosts your chances. And mm. the reason it does is because no school wants to give out an acceptance letter to someone who won't go because that mm. hurts their yield rate and it makes them look like they're the plan B or plan C for the student. So yield rate is basically a proxy to say, how much do people want to go here? So MIT, their yield rate is 77%. So that if they give an acceptance letter out, most people choose to go to MIT. That looks really good. Whereas mm-hmm. you have a lot of not great schools, they have 20% yield rates, which means 80% of people who got in decided, no, I don't want to go there. They're, they're my safety of the safety school, basically. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can demonstrate this is my top choice school, then the school will be more comfortable giving you an acceptance letter because it, you're more likely to boost uh, their yield rate if you enroll. So going to the school is a really good way to demonstrate interest. Not all schools do track demonstrated interest, but a lot do. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if a student is on a wait list, it can be helpful to write a letter to the admissions committee and say, hey, I really love your school. Can I come visit? Literally jump on a plane, go visit the school. You're demonstrating to them that that school is your first choice and that can move the needle on your admissions. Right. Okay. That's good advice. I think I think that also it's it's interesting because in early decision obviously you kind of tip your hand but if you don't do early decision and it's before you're on the wait list like do you recommend just telling them in your essay that this is your first choice school or like is there anything you can do to kind of give an indication that a school is one that you really like? Fantastic question. So I would be careful about saying it's my first choice school unless you have a way to actually demonstrate that in the essay. Mm. So there are those students who do, and they'll talk about how, you know, they have five jerseys of the college team um, in their closet. And they talk about how, you know, they used to wear one of those jerseys around when they were a kid and it was gigantic. Yeah, I feel like that, them, right? that would work for like Ohio State or something where people have grown up with that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So if you do have those stories about like that school is in your blood, then yeah, I would bring that up because it, it can probably help you in the admissions. And all colleges want students who really want to go there. And that's not just like, you know, um, just for the fuzzy feeling. It's very calculated on the school's part. Because if you really want to go there, you're probably going to get more involved. You're probably going to be happier there. You'll probably do better there. The more happy and involved you are, the more you enhance the experience for everyone else. The better the student experience, the, f- the fewer students will transfer out. Retention rate goes into a college's rankings. So that retention rate is very, very important. So people being there who want to be there who won't transfer, very important. And then also, the happier you are with your college experience, probably you're going to donate more later down the line. So that's another reason why demonstrated interest and showing that you absolutely love the school can be important for admissions as well. Yeah, and I mean, it it makes sense too in the sense that like you'll probably go to the sports games, right? You'll probably... 
you'll probably like maybe be more compelled to participate in like student government or something like that, right? Like just like you'll just be more invested overall. So admissions officers are not bad people looking to deny well-meaning students because they can. Like they genuinely are just trying to make the best decision. And these are all good hints for them. Absolutely. Drop hints. Yeah. Then the next thing after demonstrated interest would be gender. And it's mm. a thing that a lot of people don't talk about, but um, 60% of undergrads are women. Only 40% mm. are men. So all colleges essentially want a 50-50 split. That makes mm. college admissions harder on women, which a lot of people wouldn't expect. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. It, well, it's any any group that's overrepresented, right? You're exactly right. That's the best yeah. way to put it. And it's it's unfortunate that you know there are like it also comes into play with like ethnicity in a way that is frustrating to certain groups right like um but yeah i mean the you know the college is for better or for worse trying to come up with the perfect like the perfect sort of patina of things right yeah trying yeah. to shape their class um mm -hmm can't have no history majors because the professors of history will get upset too, right? So they even have to shape their class in that way. Right, exactly. Uh, the next thing would be letters of rec recommendation. Mm -hmm. Again, regrettably, those tend to favor the wealthy who go to schools, who have teachers, who will spend more time on those letters of recommendation. But right. those can move the needle, especially if the wording in those letters of recommendation have... Um, superlative adjectives. So this is the best student that I've had in, you know, AP bio in 10 years. Those mm -hmm. words are going to stick out to an admissions officer. So okay. of course, just, you know, a, a highly praising letter of recommendation, helpful, but any superlative letter of recommendation really can move the needle. Essays. So I don't know if you've heard of, about chat GPT. I have yes, it's it's all over sort of, um, it's all over the news. But I think it's gonna it's gonna screw up schools in a lot of ways. <laughs> like I was thinking about me in high school and how I would like read cliff notes to do book reports, and now I'm just like, well, now it just the cliff notes write themselves. Like that's yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. So if we had done this podcast last week, I wouldn't have even mentioned it. Right, the world was unaware, blissfully unaware. But now. It will be very interesting to see what colleges do about college essays because college essays already had a lot of inherent problems in them. You could hire mm -hmm. an essay writer. You can hire an essay editor. And editor is a very, very broad category. The content. Right. I mean, if your mom looks at your essay and she just happens to be like a really good high-powered corporate lady, right? Like she's going to do a good job editing your essay. Is that fair compared to somebody who doesn't have that, right? Like there's a whole bunch of, even before there's a whole bunch of things. Right. And I mean, I used to think, okay, an essay editor should probably just be editing spelling and punctuation. But I mean, the head of admissions for Oregon State University just two months ago publicly said, hire an essay editor who edits, you know, who helps you with your voice, who helps you with your style, who tells you what to say, what not to say. So it really opens up a can of worms of what really is, where's the line between 
a student's authentic voice that the colleges say that they want and that essay editor's voice. So a mm-hmm. lot of inherent problems there, um, even just from the fact that the content isn't fact-checked. Um, but ChatGPT, which can compose essays better than the average student, will really just um, ironically equalize the opportunity to hire a good essay writer if people were going to cheat the essay. So now everyone right. can cheat the essay. So that's not good, but it also ironically provides more equity in that way. So hopefully colleges adapt and you know maybe do proctored common app essays or something like that to solve the problem. Yeah, I think it has to be something like a proctored essay because and and then, you know, it's going to be either on common app or on the SAT, ACT, you know, oh, bring back the essay section said no one, but like, <laughs> it's it's definitely um problematic when you I mean especially like having played with these programs even if you like essentially just use the AI chatbot as like a starting point and then just edit it from there like no one can ever figure it out 100% like if you just copy paste it straight then fine like that's kind of obvious sometimes but like and they're like oh we'll include like a little chat watermark and it's like sure you copy paste it direct from your chat GPT to the common app website. Like you kind of deserve to get caught. Right. If you like, if you like copy paste it to like a notepad or a text edit file, it's in plain text. And then you copy paste that into a word document and then you edit it to make it your own voice and talk about your own experiences. Like, how are we going to catch that? Never. Like there's just, yeah, there's just no way. Right. So the the whole system is kind of in question, right? Um, and what's you know it makes you wonder what's the purpose of the essay and what are we going to have to replace? But that's kind of maybe a topic for another episode, right? Um, but yeah, and at least prior to this week, essays really compelling essays could move the needle. Not at the average school because the average school really doesn't care about your essays, but it's mm. when you get to the selective and highly selective schools where almost every applicant could do well there. That's when a very compelling essay could move the needle, which I love the college essays if they're authentic, Mm -hmm. because we don't just care about a student's academic strength. We care about their personal strength and their personal qualities, character, drive, perseverance. These are things that we want to uh, support in society and that are important for an individual's flourishing and society's flourishing. So I don't, I hope they don't get rid of the college essay, but I do hope they reform it to actually get that authentic self and reward students who have those great personal qualities. Right. And then, so, um, beyond that, what else is impacting admissions decisions here? You met, you promised a ray of hope at the end. I, I did promise that I will rave hope. Um, and then the last thing would just be extracurricular activities that I would talk about mm-hmm. um, before I get to the optimism and hope. So <laughs> um, to, to give her a little bit more rain first, uh, extracurricular activities, unfortunately, also tied to wealth. You probably knew that was coming. Um, you know, when you right. can, when you have the time and the resources to shuttle your kids to, you know, soccer practice and fencing practice, um, that helps their extra, extracurricular activities. Um, also just... Well, when equipment for that stuff is usually a bare minimum, a couple hundred dollars, too. Yeah. And you got to buy it every two years because your kid grows. Right. And the advice I would give to people, though, is... 
Um, it used to be you wanted to be the well-rounded student. Now mm-hmm. it's really the well-lopsided student. So lean into your passions. So if you really like the environment, you know, volunteer to help the environment and maybe do, you know, your own outside research on the environment. Um, maybe take a summer course on an environmental science. So if you can lean into that, it'll help you create a narrative about yourself and your college admissions application. And people are attracted to that coherent narrative and story about a person. Mm-hmm. So the um, the ray of hope, though, I would say is still grades and test scores mm-hmm. because those okay. are things that every student can control. So if you work really hard in school, you're going to get the benefit of straight A's. Now, that won't necessarily mm-hmm. differentiate you, but even leading in junior year and in senior year, students can really study for the SAT and ACT on their own. We're really in a golden age of being able to study for the SAT and ACT. There are so many resources available. And so even for economic- And a lot of them are free, right? Exactly. So the ACT um, offers four free ACTs to any student who's on a fee waiver. And 20% mm-hmm. of test takers are on a fee waiver. So for all those 20% of students, they give the ACTs- the ACT course free for all those students. So all those students have free access. And of course, every other student, they're not in as much economic need, but they're still great, very inexpensive resources that they can use as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the SAT also has a whole like Khan Academy course. And then most of that translates to the ACT. And then there's a ton of stuff on YouTube. I mean, just like YouTube is becoming like one of the best, like the library of Alexandria of our time, which is really kind of a weird thing. Cause it's also where we have like our stupid dog videos. <laughs> it's, it's just there. If you go on there looking for knowledge, you can find so much just put out there for free by people that are trying to like build a brand or whatever. I agree with almost all of that, except for throwing shade at dog videos. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're absolutely correct. I like the dog videos. It's not not really what you would imagine in the library of Alexandria of old, right? 100%. And here is the tales of uh, the (laughs) Queen Cleopatra. And then here's a book of pictures of of drawings of cats. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You never know, though. Humans have liked cats for a long time. Yeah. Um, Well, great. Yeah, thank you for sharing all those it's like a lot of detail on what's really important in admissions decisions. And I think it'll be helpful for our listeners just to kind of get all their options laid out and their relative importance at this time in this year of our Lord, 2022 Mm -hmm. kind of towards the tail end here recording in December. So, you know, chat GPT and a bunch of other things might change the landscape a fair bit. Uh, Keep that in mind if you're listening to this late, but I really think there's a lot of good nuggets in here. So thank you. Perfect. My pleasure. This has been Shift, College Admissions Podcast for a Changing World, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with David Blobaum from Summit Prep. And to get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course, you can go to achievable.me. And if you like it, you can use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.